welcome to Chief Wellbeing Officer. My name is Stephen McGregor. I'm here with Rory Simpson, uh, and this is uh, yeah, this is an introduction to a new podcast. Um, so, what do you think about that, Rory? Sounds great. Just just one thing before we get started. How about a quick cup of tea? Go for it. Sounds perfect. That's okay. um, that's a very British thing, right? I mean, we're talking about well-being, having a cup of tea, having a talk, conversation. That's what it's all about, right? That's right, although this is Scottish Blend. That is exactly what the book is, Scottish Blend, right? <laughs> so uh, we wanted to just give this general introduction to, to this new podcast, and Rory and I often get, um, yeah, we have a good conversation over a cup of tea, and uh, we thought that would be a nice way of introducing what we'd like to do in this, in this new venture. So there we go. Milk and sugar, no? Just a wee bit of milk, please. You know, Rory, it was you that first talked to me a couple of years ago about the importance of, uh, of good conversations in the workplace. Uh, do you think we're getting there in terms of people listening to that type of message? That type of message? I think we're aware that we've lost the art of conversation. So we're aware that there's a problem. And we've got a long way to go to, to have the presence to have have great conversations. Yeah. I mean, leadership, leadership is a relationship between two people. And to have a good relationship, you've got to be having good conversations. Sure. In fact, the conversation itself um, is the relationship. Yeah. And, and we're too busy. I mean, we're too busy, too easily distracted to have these real conversations. And the big part of that is listening, right? I mean, is is we get in a higher position in an organization, we tend to talk more and, and listen less, right? That's right, it seems like we're paid for words. Um, my brother's worked for McKinsey for almost 28 years, and every time he speaks to me, it's as though he's, he's paid by the word. Yeah. Doesn't listen much to his little brother. <laughs> That's a dynamic, right, of just siblings and big brother, little brother, absolutely. Um, do you think the world needs another podcast? And the world certainly needs more reflection, and so I don't think it can hurt. Yeah. I, I also think in, in the years of shared experience we have with executive education, also being here at Universitas with all the, the, the beautiful minds that come through the campus, there's, there's no harm in, in, in sharing some of that, as long as it's not all the same thing, as long as, as, long as it's not all the same cycle battle and and corporate words, I and mean, as long as we're sharing open points of view and, and, and sharing open conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Is that tea ready yet? <laughs> so I think that's the idea, right? We're going to try and, a lot of the people that come through here, you know, we're at Universitas Telefonica right now, um, interesting people and, and, and see what they've got to say, and also link it to, to the book, which we have finished. So we're now almost uh, December 2017. Um, the book is done. It will be published in the new year. Um, you looking forward to that? Are you happy with the, the writing experience? Yeah, I'm very happy. I'm very happy we did it, we did it together. Um, and I'll be very happy when, you know, to see it actually in, in print. Um, I'm glad we're not the ones translating it into Spanish. <laughs> It's very exciting to have a book which will be launched relatively simultaneously in Spanish and English for both markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so that that's about it, right? I mean, that's the opening. Hopefully, you know, we'll get to this first episode now and, and subsequent episodes around this theme of yeah, well-being in the workplace. Other things that we touched on. What do we have? We had purpose. What else was in there? Listening conversations. There's a whole load of stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, we talk about the four elements of of the holistic leader, and the book, in some ways, um, at, at every stage refers to one of those four elements. It's either about the IQ, data, information, processes, and trying to turn that information into knowledge. But, you know, we also talk about EQ, emotional intelligence, connecting with people. Yeah. Your great stuff, um, specifically your, your unique stuff on physical intelligence and then the, the spiritual stuff. But I will say, you know, we started the, I think we started thinking about it almost you know, more than a year ago. It's, it's amazing that we need to get the book published because everybody's talking about it now. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm really excited to get this going. So, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll get some more ideas uh, during this cup of tea. So cheers. Cheers. Enjoy the brew. <laughs> Thanks. Welcome to episode one of Chief Wellbeing Officer. I'm Stephen McGregor. In this episode, I'll be talking to Anne Pickering, Director of Human Resources at O2. We actually did this interview in August of this year at Telefonica's offices in Soho in London. It's now 23rd of November. Uh, I'm sitting in the attic of the lab uh, in Barcelona. But we actually did turn this around pretty quickly, believe it or not. I met Anne for the first time since that interview uh, only this week. She's in Barcelona teaching on a Women in Leadership programme. So I listened to the interview for the first time two days ago. We transcripted it, recorded the general podcast intro with Rory uh, yesterday. And we got Rob Fenn, many thanks Rob, to do the music, the introduction music and the transition music that, you, that you've just heard. And I'm a big believer in that. You know, I'm a background in design, new product development. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we can often iterate towards the best solution. So we're very keen to hear... Uh, your input into how we can make this better uh, maybe ideas for who we should talk to you can contact us uh, via the email address on the website of the Leadership Academy of Barcelona or contact either Rory or myself through the normal channels and social media um, so my talk with Anne um, you know I'm not going to give any closing commentary on this in this first episode just to say we covered a number of topics uh, including high performing cultures the culture that she's trying to create at O2, learning and development strategy, women in leadership, of course, and uh, and health and well-being, with a particular focus on mental health. And also, if you're interested, actually, O2 graduates versus Eton School, ended nil-nil. So here we go, episode one, Stephen McGregor talking to Anne Pickering. Enjoy. So Anne, it's uh, great to talk to you today. You know, we've known each other for a couple of years. Uh, we first met Universitas uh, in Barcelona. Uh, and I know some parts of your personal story. So coming from Liverpool, large family, right? Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit more on your kind of personal journey? Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. Born in Liverpool, big. I remain a big fan of Liverpool Football Club. Um, one of six. I uh, we there was five girls and a boy. He's a very very lucky young man, my brother. Mm. Um, and my parents. I'm the daughter of uh, Irish immigrants. Um, so a happy childhood. Not much money. 
Um, but there were, it was the days when uh, university fees were mean-tested. So actually five out of the six of us went to university, which mm-hmm. was uh, credit to, to my parents, actually. Um, and that could never be achieved today. Um, and I started my career in, in Marks & Spencer, a big UK retail business um, specialising in HR. And I was really lucky, although I f- more or less fell into it, uh, it, it, it became really clear to me at a very early age, around about 22, that this was a field I was really going to enjoy. I loved the interaction with people. I loved the fact that people were so unpredictable. So I remained in HR, having worked in, in Marks & Spencer, I then moved into the city in London and worked for an investment house then moved into IT services and had 13 very happy years with two children along the way, two boys. And then in 2004, I received a call from Headhunter telling me about a job in O2. And I'd never worked in uh, telecoms. It was growing like Topsy. So uh, joined O2 in 2004. And if I'm honest, I probably never looked back. It really felt like I'd found my home. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough in 2008 to be appointed to the board as the HR director for the UK. So I've been on the board now since 2008. Um, business has grown. We've been acquired by Telefonica, who've been a, a fabulously supportive parent company. Um, and um, no two days are the same. Uh, so really, really enjoy the culture. Uh, really enjoy the values that the company has. And I'm, I'm, very, I'm very proud of the way we um trust our people to do a great job and i think because of that culture it means our customers really benefit as well yeah, yeah. and so you know human resources all that time mm-hmm. um what's been some of the main changes in that in that field for you or you know can you contrast hr within telco compared to your kind of previous career I mean, I started my career in a, in a retail store that was at the time was hugely successful, but actually has been on a decline more or less in, since then. And I look back and, and, and wonder why. Um, what Marks and Spencer was excellent at was process and procedure. You walk into an MS store, you feel comfortable. You know, you, you can see where everything is. Whilst that was the secret of its success 25 years ago, it's actually, you know, it, it doesn't add anything now. So process and procedure is fine, but you know this is about human human beings, mm-hmm. and, and human process and procedure is it can be an enabler, but if you're dealing with human beings, um, they need so much more than that. Sure. And over the years, what I've realised is you have to create a culture in an organisation if you want a business to be successful. That I think is based on trust. And for me, the one thing I, you know I see now businesses that trust their people to come into work and do a great job are the ones that are more successful. If you're working in an organisation that's all about presenteeism, you have to be at your desk at eight o'clock, mm. you're still going to be there at six o'clock, you know, that's not conducive to, to a great working environment and, and, and nor does, you know, no, nobody wants that, it doesn't, doesn't, it's not motivational. So for me, trust is, at the, is the foundation of any successful company, irrespective of what uh, sector it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think you've mentioned those things on presenteeism, you know, sometimes that, that that's the problem in a lot of the companies that people are there for too long, yeah, and they're not doing so much of a good job, right? Yeah. So it could be in the future that those that dynamic is going to be more important, right? And that comes that comes back to trust. I mean, in O2, we have a very we have a very healthy regard to the fact that people have a life outside work, mm-hmm. and we have a culture of flexible working, which means some of the time I don't know where my people are, and do yeah. you know what? I don't really care mm-hmm. where they are, 
as long as they do what is required of them. And when I look at the engagement surveys that we do twice a year in the UK, the the one the most the most common uh, verbatim comment is, I love the fact that you trust me to do my job in a way that works best for me. Yeah. And I think that's great. Yeah, I think that's really important. So, you know, where people are sitting is an irrelevance. It's, it's, and then if, that, you know, if that means they can drop their child at school and then come into work or drop their child at school and work at home, I'm really relaxed about that. I will get the best out of that person. Yeah. The danger in organisations that decide that flexible working isn't for them is they will... They will not. They will not hire the best people. It should be, you know, if you want talent, it shouldn't matter where they live, where they sit. It's whether they can do the job. This is, you know, we're in a technological age. You know, it should be an enabler. And I firmly believe, if you've got a culture of flexibility, you're going to be able to hire the best talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your um, so your experience as a, as a as a woman in a senior leadership role. I know from listening to you over the years, there's been some kind of strong role models that have inspired you to, to kind of keep going. Um, is, is it getting easier now to, you know, I think you're the only women on the board in O2? So there are now three women on the board in, yeah. in O2 in the UK, and it makes a massive difference. There was a period when one of my colleagues was on maternity leave and we were waiting for another female director to join. So I was the only woman on the board. And much as I, I love all my male colleagues, um, t- two things happened. I, I lost my voice, metaphorically and physically, actually, and, and yet they are delightful people. Um, but also the, the, the debate is different. And, it, and it's not just about gender, but gender plays a part of it. But if I look at the three women on the board, one is American, one is Spanish, and obviously one is Scouse. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is about having you know, diversity in its broader sense, because you, you just get a better conversation. You yeah. get a breadth of thinking, which is really important. Yeah, yeah. Has it got better? Um, I won't stop until it's where it needs to be. So what do I mean by that? You know, Lord Davis set out a target of FTSE 100 companies having 25% female representation. Mm. And he wanted that by 2015. Now, we've achieved that in the UK, but that's still not good enough, you know. But having a target did help. However, I would also say there is no woman I know that wants to be promoted because of her gender. She wants to be promoted because of her on on merit but what I believe you have to do is create a level playing field so what do I mean by that when I use a a search firm to recruit senior people I insist they give me a gender balance shortlist 50-50 and you'd be surprised at the very prestigious headhunter who when I made that request said to me well if you want to compromise on quality Anne I will get you a gender balance shortlist that was a very short conversation (laughs) after that Stephen and, and the reason why, you know, the, the level playing field is important is, particularly at a senior level, it's much harder to winkle talented women out of organisations. Because, yeah. and this is a generalisation, it only works when it all works. And if you've got caring responsibilities or childcare responsibilities, moving job can be huge as a woman. True. Um, so, so a level playing field is really, really important to me. Creating, you know, uh, opportunities, ensuring that... It, Having a level play if you mean that you're 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 ensuring that men don't have uh, an advantage. Now, the other thing I would say is when it comes to talent and performance management, if you only base your assessment of someone's potential on past performance, mm-hmm. a lot of women are at a disadvantage of because yeah. if you take my if you take my position, I had two children in the space of uh, two and a half years. If 
I'd been judged on my past performance, I would be automatically at a disadvantage. So businesses need to shape up and look at other things, not just past performance, because yeah. that will, you know, that, that that's a problem for, for females in the workforce. So we look at judgment, we look at drive, and we look at influence. Yeah. So past performance plays a, is an element, but it's a much smaller element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I mean about a level playing field. Yeah, no, really insightful comments, and it's, it's such a fascinating area. Um, you know, even just a kind of short anecdote that, that I think is still um, illustrative. You know, many women in companies and in leadership, especially when you're talking about losing your kind of voice in that board scenario, um, they're used to being in an environment where they are the only woman, right? Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't happen to men. And even on a very, very kind of simple level, but it still impacts, as I say, um, it was actually a women in leadership course that I was teaching a couple of years ago. Uh, so, of course, all the participants were women, and I was teaching. And I thought something was different in the room, but it was just the fact that for probably, you know, one of the first times in my life, I was in a room of about 50 people, and I was the only man. Right. 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 Um, and, and, and you kind of feel that, but I guess you then... You empathise with women who are doing that every single day of their lives, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I still have a voice, I guess, but it just it just it felt different. I just was conscious of the fact that I was the only male within the within the room, right? And it's just a you know a, a silly anecdote, I guess, but it's kind of um, it's interesting. The first meeting I ever went to at the university when we were part of Telefonica, um, the, the, there was all senior leaders from across the organisation, the globe, and. Um, I was the only female in the room and somebody asked me to get a cup of coffee. And, and I don't think it's, I think they just assumed I was support yeah. staff, you know, it was, it, um, to, in fairness, he was mortified, sure. but it was quite interesting and yeah. I found it quite funny, but, but then, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 just need to brush these things off. Yeah. Right? So that's great. If we talk about learning for just a, a couple of minutes, you know, you've worked quite a, closely with Rory Simpson, who's a co-author on, on Chief Wellbeing Officer. Uh, and the Chief um, Learning Officer at, at Telefonica. And, and one of the areas of focus that we have in, in Chief Wellbeing Officer is that of learning. Um, and, and learning is one of those fields that has changed and a lot in the last few years and it will continue to, to change. Um, so, you know, learning within O2, any changes in the L&D function uh, going forward, any, any kind of brief overview on that? We're trying to move to something that's, a, that's more digital, um, uh, you know, so that people can can access learning anytime and anywhere. I think that's really important. Uh, which, you know, so it's not all face to face. I want to generate or create a culture where people um, pull on learning rather than we push it. I think that's really important. Yeah. And I want um, to, to to get to a position where people sit down and think about what it is, to, what it, I need to do, what do I need to learn, or how do I need to develop um, over the next 12 months with a plan, and then they can do a, a, a real mix of blended learning. We, we can't, we've got to move away from um, one-size-fits-all classroom-based training. Now, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a place for that, but I think, I think we've, got to, we've got to shift the emphasis somewhat, and I think that's what we're trying to create in, in O2. In terms of leadership... Um, uh, you know, I, I want to try and create a coaching culture. I think that's really important. I want to create leaders that are are more resilient and much more open to challenge. Um, I think that's going to be that's really important. Challenge is good; it creates better outcomes. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the culture in O2 is, is there yet, so that's something that um, that we need to work on. So, I want I do want to shift to a, um, a high performing culture where learning is part of that. 
and included in that is is health and well-being you know whenever I talk to our on our talent programs or our women in leadership programs you know talking to people about talking to people about how they need to look after themselves and their health is really important and it's often the thing that drops off the Mm. to-do list and actually you are a much and you will know this better than I Stephen you are a much better leader if you're fit and healthy and that's not about being size eight Mm. and it's you know not about you know looking like Julie Roberts it's about keeping yourself you know fit and healthy and you will be a better leader if you are in good health there is no two yeah. ways about it yeah yeah you know that that, that learning approach i mean is, is is are is everyone receptive to that you think you know if it's customized they would they would like that if it was um you know on demand rather than being pushed to them um the coaching side the, the, does everyone go for that is that something that people are kind of or is it a certain personality that is more receptive to that kind of coaching relationship? So we're on a bit of a journey. We're only really just launching it this this second half of, of 2017. So it's a bit too early to say. I think people, in terms of coaching, they get the concept. But I think there's probably leaders in the organisation who say, God, what does that mean for me? So we have to provide them with the skills and, and an understanding of what what you know what coaching leadership looks like. So yeah. that's something we need to we're, we're looking to focus on in the second half of this year and, and 2018 as yeah. well. Great. Um, so picking up on on your uh, you know comments there on on well being and, and that being important. Um, you know we're sitting here today in Telefonica's plush Soho offices. Uh, and you know there are perks in in, mm-hmm. in executive life, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yourself as being a a, a senior leader, um, you'll appreciate that there's the good and bad as well, and it is a hard, demanding role also. Um, can you tell us a little bit just on on a personal level about your own health and well-being in the last few years and how that's gone? Sure. Um, so f- for me, keeping fit and healthy is really really important. Um, um, and, and what do I mean by that? I, I perform better if I'm, you know, uh, getting enough sleep. I'm doing some exercise. I just, I'm, I, I will make better decisions. So, you know, whilst I don't run any, any marathons, um, I set a target for myself to do four 10k runs a year. Mm-hmm. So my next one is in queue in September. Um, so I probably run three or four miles a couple of times a week and I get to the gym and do some do some um, some, some weight training and, and the bottom line is as you get older it gets harder so you've really got to keep at it and the only way to do it is to make sure it's incorporated into your daily life mm. and, and when you get to that point you don't think twice about sticking your kit on and going for a run but you've got to really you know I found out to really work quite hard at it but yeah. I also um, run with my sister so it's very sociable so we catch up on all family stuff so there's something a it's really important but b you have to incorporate it into your daily routine otherwise it just won't work um, but I definitely am better as a result of it definitely yeah. make, and I bet I make better decisions looking at challenging times in your life to kind of fit in this other part of, of, of this activity was that more acute when you were a young mum and you were bringing up your children or was it when you were really in the kind of senior leadership role or was it both times or kind of equally challenging? How did it, how did it I, I think, I've, I've you know, I, I was always, I played a lot of sport at school and I love watching sports. So I've always had a, a, a sporty side. I, I love team sports. And, and I think the other thing I would say is team sports generate teamwork. And, and I look around at too, the people who play team sports are probably the better mm-hmm. leaders, actually. Mm-hmm. Bit of a generalisation, but... I, you know, it, it's uh, it's pretty evident. So I've always been active. Um, 
I think it, it, it's no, it's no more hard. You've just got to make the time. You know, there is there is something about carving out the time. And if there's, you know, if you have a partner, you know, what's the deal? When do you have the time to do it? And when does your other half have the time to do it? Um, but but I think making the time is really important. And my boys now are 27 and 25. And if they come home, then we'll go for a run together. So there's something, you know, they can run a lot faster than I do because they're yeah, a lot yeah. more fit. But it gives us time together just to chat. And that's sure. really good as well. Yeah, so yeah. you just, you have to carve out the time. I, I, I hear too many people saying I don't have the time and I just don't buy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess you've talked more about the kind of physical side there uh, and you've previously made comments on the, the aim for the leadership development in order to, to be more emotionally resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of kind of, I don't know, emotional, mental health, dealing with stress, how has that been? Because I guess that can be a, a big challenge also, right? Just the stress management in a, in a senior role. Mental health is something that um, we have focused on quite hard in O2. Um, because what we did was an analysis of, of uh, reasons why people were absent and, and stress-related issues is probably the biggest cause of absence in O2. And that could be caused by money worries, um, you know, family illness. It sort of doesn't matter. It's a big cause of concern. So during Mental Health Week, we had a big program running across all our sites because it's all about removing the stigma around mental health. It's, it's out there. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. But people have to understand it if they want to support our colleagues. Um, And we had a number of people who um, did a blog for us and Mm -hmm. talked about um, their challenges they've had with mental health and and how O2 supported them, which was really good. Um, We have um, uh, an advice line that people can phone you know, and talk about where they've got challenges. It could be money issues, it could be health issues, it could be issues at work. So it's a, I think it's important that organisations provide an outlet for their employees. Not everybody wants to talk to their colleagues at work because there's a stigma attached. So I think having it out there, uh, having people talk about it, having employees of O2 tell their stories has really, really helped. Really yeah, helped. that's great. Um, yeah, so well-being in O2... Um, I guess you'll have a well-being manager. Yeah. Health and well-being. Yeah. Is, I've got someone in my team who's responsible yeah. for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a gym on site at our head office where where people are actively, you know, make it easy for people um, to, to to have access to to, to that. Um, and there's a lot of you know. Um, there's a lot of team sports. Uh, interesting. Some of our graduates played uh, football against the um, the Masters at Eton the other week, which I found really interesting because <laughs> Eton School is down the road from our, our head office in Slough. Yeah. So you know, creating a culture where people you know want to get together, create teams, and go out and play other companies or other schools is fantastic. So we would really encourage that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I detect that you know it's about creating that open culture, right? For all aspects of well-being, if it's the physical or the mental, I mean, you've got Mental Health Week, which I've been aware of the last couple of mm-hmm. years. I mean, you've run it mm-hmm. once or twice now, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, did you detect reticence at the beginning? for Because that's quite a, maybe quite a sensitive subject for people to talk about. But as you say, if you're getting volunteers writing blogs and their own experiences, then I guess that's, yeah, you're, you're creating that yeah. trusting culture. It's come back to the issue of trust, Absolutely. Right? I mean, the, the whole thing is, if you've got, if you've got employees who come to work feeling comfortable about being who they are, they will do a better job, you know, and, 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 it's, and, and it's really important that we create a culture where people feel okay to do, to do that. And, and, uh, and that's what we strive for. And, and as a result, I think we've got a, 
uh, a very supportive, very tolerant culture. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things I always say to people when they're on leadership courses is that kindness or compassion is a much underrated value in business. You know, a compassionate leader is a strong leader. It's not a sign of weakness. True. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's great. I mean, maybe just a couple of, you know, reflections from you, Anne, on, on the future. You know, we're looking at, um, you know, increasingly rapid change and disruption, whether it's the talk of the impending artificial intelligence revolution or even political upheaval with Brexit here in the UK. Um, yeah, what, what are you thinking about the future? Are you still optimistic? What are you thinking, <laughs> even for yourself? I mean, the world is just in a very peculiar place at the moment. There is so much change. You know, who'd have thought that we would be leaving the European Union? Who'd have thought that Theresa May would not have got back in with a, with the majority? I was talking to an MP the night before who says... She won't. She won't get a landslide, but she'll get it. She'll get back in comfortably. And this was some. This was one of her party, a senior senior minister. So, the world is just so unpredictable. Therefore, stability is really important. And creating a, 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 an organisational culture that is stable and flexible is going to be really important. Because I don't know how Brexit is going to affect O2 yet. Um, so, equipping our people. Um, with the resilience is, is going to be really important. Um, you know, it's, so whatever the changes that come along, we will be strong enough to cope. The other thing I would say is, you know, not only is the world unpredictable, it's changing really, really fast. You know, artificial intelligence is a great example. I don't know what skills I'm going to need in five years' time in O2. You know, if you'd have said to me seven years ago, I'd have a team of 25 people. Uh, and all they do is talk to our customers via social media, yeah. I would have told you to, to, to go away. Mm-hmm. And yet that team talked to our, you know, for me, Facebook was for kids. So our social media team talked to our customers every day and customers who have an interaction with them have a five point higher satisfaction than those mm-hmm. that don't. Mm-hmm. So that's the power of social media. But social media was something that, that you know, it was just, you know, a tool that kids use to talk to each other. So... So that's a great example of, I don't know what I'm going to need in five years' time. So therefore, recruiting for attitude is going to be much more important because I can train them for skill. Sure. So that's the big thing, getting the right people with the right mindset. To change, right? mindset, open to change. Absolutely, and open, open to change. And that will bring its challenges, and it already yeah. has. You know, We're bringing in a lot more young people into it who are graduates and apprentices. Their needs are very different. And we've had to adapt to their needs, not the other way around. Yeah. Um, so we do need leaders who are, are flexible, resilient, and, hatch, and, and are up for change and uncertainty. Because I think that's the world that we live in. They have to be able to cope with ambiguity, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Great. So that was lovely. Many thanks for your time today, Anne. It was great talking to you. My pleasure. Thank you.